Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, July 7th, 2023 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Two-parter coming up for you guys today. First things first, with Tennessee recruiting in full swing and everything else happening, we wanted to make sure we got the Tennessee Go Big Orange Friday edition here on the program out. First thing, uh, we talk about Brady DeLeon and getting mocked into the first round uh, and early uh, NBA mock drafts for the 2024 draft, uh, how he'll fit in how he'll work with Ziegler and Santi in the backcourt and uh, why there's some real excitement there uh, with Freddie going into uh, the next uh, Tennessee basketball season. Uh, Ron O'Connell picking Clemson. Uh, Satterwhite, does he pick Tennessee today? He's actually uh, making his commitment uh, later this afternoon, so excited to see what happens there. Um, Elijah Rushing commits to Arizona. Is that one gone? Five-star edge off, uh, off the board who Tennessee pushed hard for. Um, talk about that. Mike Matthews, why Tennessee is going to be okay um, at the wide receiver spot. Braylon Staley and company coming into the fold. Um, Vols SEC title odds uh, going into next year. Uh, who's a bigger uh, factor for the Vols next year between Kentucky and South Carolina? Um, and then Tennessee baseball on an absolute heater when in the transfer portal with Billy Amick, uh, the latest coming in from Clemson. Talk all about what Tony Vitale was building, what could be. Uh, the best college baseball team next year. So all kinds of good stuff here at Everything HQ. And uh, yeah, if you're a first-time listener, I guess what we do, uh, go Big Orange Friday show each and every week with Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shumpert, and Saturday Down South, Ethan Stone, talking all things Tennessee ball. So if you're uh, new to the program and you are a Tennessee fan, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss a future episode of this very show. Um, if you're already a subscriber, you know what I'm going to say. Take a second right now and leave this show a five-star rating and write a review. Uh, it helps other people find the show, tell other people why you like the show, uh, why you think they would like it too, and uh, it helps this show continue to grow. It helps other people find it. And, uh, yeah, it's something very easy, very quick you can do today. Um, so make sure you do that if you're an Apple podcast or Spotify listener. It's always, you can watch full episodes on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash chase Thomas podcast, like, and subscribe and all that good stuff. So there you go. Two parter coming up, take grass and be show with John Taylor coming up in just a little bit, but first uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, welcome back. Go Big Orange Friday on you guessed it a Friday here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am joined as always, my good friends over there in West Knox, Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, excited to get on here and uh, talk a little ball. We love talking ball on this love, show. Love, love talking ball. Love talking ball on this show. Uh, Cal Stark doesn't love talking ball right now. I'm going to go ahead and guess, but we'll get into uh, why he might not want to talk any baseball this week. Um, also here, Saturday Down South, Ethan Stone. Ethan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I uh, I was off today from SDS, so just kind of cleaning up around the house, doing some a lot of boring stuff. It was a hot one in Greenville today. Very hot. I couldn't go outside. Couldn't do anything. So 63? I'm excited to talk some ball as well. I've just been I've just been sitting around the house. <laughs> what was that story? Ryan, did you hear this? What was that? <laughs> what story? 
It's too hot to go out. It was too hot to go out. I had an off day, so I cleaned up around the house and I did some chores. I've done all day. I've just sat here like a lump. I I can't go outside. I wanted to go to Home Depot, but I didn't have time. Is that what's coming out next, Ethan? What's going on? It's 700% humidity in Simpsonville, South Carolina. I can't go outside. That's not helping that you know it off the top of your head. Here's what you say when it's too humid. And you're like, it's, it's hot. Like, it's humid. I don't know. Like, I don't know I had what a good it day. is. I enjoyed it. I had a good day. He's enjoying the air conditioning. <laughs> there we go. Ethan is so built for marriage and elderly life. Like, I'm there, but, like, I'm 32. Ethan's, like, what? What are you, Ethan? 23? 24? 23. It's yeah. my Devin Hester year. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was, like, that just set me back, Ryan. Like, that just, I didn't know who I was listening to. Larry David or Ethan Stone. That was, um... <laughs> That was a lot. Goodness gracious. Ethan, go break a law. Like, uh, just go do something this weekend. I don't know what. Like, speed. I got kicked out of the Applebee's. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There we go. I can enjoy the Applebee's that's like 0.5 miles away from my house. Can you imagine how hard it's got to be to get kicked out of an Applebee's? Like, you really got to do, you got to do a lot of damage because they see all kinds of stuff. And I don't see a lot of stories of man kicked out of Applebee's. You got to really go over the top to get kicked out of an Applebee's. Just Ricky Bobby's dad. (laughs) Just Ricky Bobby's dad. Um, That is true. Um, Reminds me of Righteous Gemstones now. And I just, what a delightful show. Funniest TV show on on, on TV right now. Um, Uncle Baby Billy. Baby, Uncle Baby Billy, what is his new program? Uncle Baby Billy Bible Bonkers, and it's a <laughs> it's a spinoff of uh, Family Feud. It's fantastic. Do y'all watch Righteous Gemstones or no? Uh uh-uh. Oh, Righteous Gemstones. That's the first time I've heard of it. When you just on said Max. it, and I kind of zoning out by the time you were Ooh. done with the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what? That was uncalled for. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is what happens when we record it. We record after nine o'clock. Oh my yeah. god, Ethan! What was that? Like that was that was ice, <laughs> ice. Yeah, again, that was uncalled for. Oh my <laughs> god! He's Let's mad at you e- on Let's He's go to mad Ethan at you first at, at nine o'clock. That's it. I wish <laughs> I was. Right, a, I wish I was Tony Reality right now. I'd give negative seventeen <laughs> points here for this opening from Ryan. Just like muted. It's negative 17. Just making sure he has no chance of winning tonight's show. Just That's no a great chance. idea. We should do a Chase Office Around the Horn podcast. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't really work on the podcast for him, but on the video. I mean, that would be fantastic. Yeah, it's just more work. I got to get a buzzer. I got to get a yeah. dinger. I got to do more graphics. Maybe one day. Yeah, maybe one maybe. day. You'd be great in the Tony Reality role, though. I, I could do it. Yeah. I could do it. Um. Well... Ryan, as he tries to get back in it, you'd be great in Tony Reality. I see what you're doing. Where you're like, <laughs> let me see if I can get back into the good races. Like, with that, I wasn't. No, no. He was like, who can I compare him to? You, you'd be awesome in that. Like, you'd be that. That's your dude. You'd be killer. Like, that's you would kill that. Like, you're that's so PCI, you, bro. I mean, you, you could replace Tony Kornheiser, and that that show went drop off. Look. I don't know about that. I, I feel like I'm I more just, Will. I was just going through the. Floor. I think I'm more Wilbon than Kornheiser. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But you don't. Yeah. I don't think you do the the patented uh, Wilbon name drop at the same mm, at the same level. I mean, he can yet. do that at a level that no one in this world can. That's true. I don't know. Um, I don't know who the closest comp or what jet, look, what position that uh, is. But I could probably. I feel the most comfortable just walking in and doing right now. I don't know. It's a good question. That's a 
I, I think Kornheiser or, or the reality is probably the one. I think you're actually not wrong. I think I could easily step in and lead a debate show on ESPN. I can step right in um, and just be like, I could host a guest host spot and be able to keep it together. I think I could do I think it. So. Um, well, that naturally leads us to uh, Vols basketball because Ryan's at minus 17 and we're starting with Vols basketball because it's Ryan's fault. And uh, Vols basketball is Ethan's bread and butter here. Ethan. I saw this week that Freddie DeLeon um, was mocked in the first round this preseason uh, for the 2024 NBA draft. How does that work with Freddie DeLeon? Do you think he has that kind of upside? Do you think he has a better season than what Julian Phillips just had at going number 35 and what we've seen from the last couple lottery high upside guys who've come through the Tennessee program? Does he feel like he could have that kind of impact? Are the minutes going to be there? For DeLeon, like how excited are you about DeLeon and why do you think uh, a lot of folks are high on what he can do? Because it seems like it's they're betting on a big offensive year from him. Yeah. Do I do I think he's immediately going to contribute? I have no idea. The reason I think he's getting so many first round projections, I, I think it was number 24 to the Celtics, Yeah, is just the ability to sit an entire season just on the sidelines and just learn and just figure out still be in college basketball but not be asked to go out there and actually compete just learn the speed of the game learn how to transition from high school to college to getting to a point to use your athleticism that he very obviously has i mean rick barnes and company have been very high on that since the beginning really since he showed up they said they said i i want to think there was a quote he said last year that he could play right now if he wanted to but it's just they're not going to do it because he i guess he likes that process of being uh, someone that can just look over everything and just kind of sit there, learn, and, and just soak it all in. And so I, I'm going to have a weird comp here. It's 9 o'clock at night, so I'm allowed to do this. I, I, I'm going to do anything I can to talk about the Utah Jazz on this show. In the rookie of the year race, Donovan Mitchell, Ben Simmons. Reason Ben Simmons won, I will die on this hill, is because he got to sit a year, learn how the NBA works, mm. learn how – the speed of the game, how it transitions, how all of that works. And people are saying, you know, oh, Ben Simmons shouldn't have won it. He shouldn't have won it. I agree 100%. I'm one of those people. Being in that system and not having to blindly transition like that, like what DeLeon is going to be doing into college basketball, is just such an advantage. It's such an advantage. Do I think he's immediately going to show up and be Kennedy Chandler? Is he even really going to be a Julian Phillips? I have no idea. But that ability to transition, I think, is just so helpful. And with the obvious talent that he has, sure, he can be a first-rounder. And I think that's why people are projecting him like that, because he's he's going to play defense. Uh, you know that under Barnes. He's probably going to come in and automatically contribute. I mean, Julian Phillips, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest, that's exactly what he was last year. He didn't do a huge amount offensively. He's an incredible athlete, and he's incredible defensively. That's why he goes to the Bulls. And I can see DeLeon. I'm, I'm not – he's probably going to have a little more success than Phillips. If I'm totally honest, just because he's a pure talent like that, I'm not going to act like I'm just know that he's automatically going to come out and be like a starter or anything like that. But I do think he has a huge advantage over a lot of other players, like kind of what I've just talked about to be able to go that high. I I think, I, I think it's very possible. I think so too. I just, I think what's interesting because I, if you go back and remember like Kennedy Chandler, it was a big surprise that he ended up falling where he did. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of years for his NBA career. But like he's six one, Freddie DeLeon's sneaky six four, like kind of long. You look at it and like, I just feel like he's someone Barnes is going to 
really love and really emphasize. And I just think the fit with him and Sakai will actually be pretty clean. Like, I think those two will. I'm just curious how he meshes with Santi. Like, I, the stock was a lot higher for him individually if Santi's not back. Because I think he would have had an expansive role. And I think he would have, a lot would have been on his plate offensively. Now I'm wondering what that looks like. Because Santi's on the ball so much. And maybe he does take a step back a little bit in this final year. And he doesn't have to do as much. But, like... When Ziegler's back, like Ziegler's going to be on the ball a bunch. Uh, Josiah brings the ball up sometimes. Like, I just, I wonder what the touches situation is going to look like, Ryan, with Freddie and how he fits in with a lot of guys who need the ball to be effective in this offense. That's the question. I think, you know, the stuff getting there early, I think that's big because it, he gets to watch Rick Barnes scream at everybody that's not him for a, you know, a half a season. And he gets to be, all right, this is because I made a joke all the time last year. It's like, I hope Freddie's enjoying him not as being on scout team where he's not the butt of this because first mm. practice they get going in the fall he's going to be the guy and it's a little bit less pressure on him because of that very point you just said since he brought so many guys back uh, and then I, the other part is you know he's going to know the defense I mean to me defense is the weak spot for him mm. uh, I think you'll see better production from him than Julian Phillips on the offensive end because I think he's a much more talented scorer but to me he's this, this Tennessee team as a whole is just going to be fascinating because there's so many pieces, but he might be, to me, the most fascinating piece of how he fits. I think you're right. His value, his chances of going a first round, I think were way higher when you started the offseason, and it was like, all right, he's going to be one of the most leaned-on scorers if he can stay on the court for 25 minutes a game or at least 20 minutes a game. Now it's not necessarily really the case. Um, he's going to have to probably carve out his offensive role a little bit more, but he is – I think a really, really talented offensive player, a, a different skill set uh, from the guard spot that Tennessee really hasn't had the last couple of years. And I don't even really think he'll handle the ball some, but I don't think he's going to play a lot of point guard necessarily. I still think Jemai Meshack and, and Vescovy will be playing point guard more than him. But in the half court with uh, the ball in his hands, I think the way he can score is going to be really unique. Uh, and, you know, look, you're going to find few people that are bigger Santiago Vescovi fans than me. I love watching him play. I think he's been incredible for Tennessee the last two years. It's like a best shooter on the team. <laughs> Let's get this on the record for people who didn't hear. That's not my take. That's Chase's awful take. Uh, moving, moving on, pivoting. But we had this conversation a few weeks ago. We talked about Tennessee, if they're a top five team. It's Tennessee's got to get better offensively. they got to get better mm. scores. Santiago Vescovi ca- cannot be your number one scorer. And Freddie DeLeon has the talent. Would I predict this to be the case? Probably not. But he has the talent and the offensive ability to, all right, we look around, and he's the type of guy that can exceed what Santi gives him offensively if everything just clicks for him and it goes gangbusters. Or at least is a guy that can, from a number standpoint, be compatible to what Vescovy gives you, but the skill set is going to be different, and it makes Tennessee a lot more dangerous on that end. And I'm really curious to see what it looks like with him when they're in – like it when he shares the floor with because i think santi will be fine like you said like i'm less worried about him off the ball and i think he'll get better shots he'll shoot the ball really well in this final year and i think he'll be fine like what does zakai do off ball like what does zakai do when he has to stand away from the action when it's freddie de Leon doing pick and pops with josiah or whoever like we haven't really seen that from zakai like zakai is like gonna drive into traffic and he'll dribble around wherever trying to find an open santi josiah whoever like will he still be someone you want on the floor in the final two minutes of a close game with if Freddie is what we think he can be because of the upside because of the just what he can do offensively I think he just does more of what they need late in games and I 
I just I Zakai's gonna have to evolve. Like Zakai's gonna have to do more cutting. He's gonna have to do more stuff off ball, and we'll see what he does. But I'm very curious to see how Zakai fares if he's not the the initiator in close games. Yeah, I mean, I think, and this isn't to say he's not gonna have to evolve because it wasn't like he was flawless then. But I mean, mm-hmm. his freshman year, he did that all the time. I mean, yeah. he's playing with Kennedy Chandler and Santiago Vescovi, and he's handling the ball, and he's got to get better at evolving off the ball. Uh, and I, I don't really see a scenario where Tennessee's not going to want Sky Ziegler on the court at the end of the games. I just think, and obviously Freddie or some of these guys, they can mitigate that. But you look back last year, what did Tennessee miss when Sky Ziegler went down? It was the last five minutes of games. Mm. And, you know, you're hoping that you have DeLeon or Jemai Meshack evolves and you've got some guys, maybe one of the transfers who, all right, you have another guy that can put the ball on the floor and get you a basket in an isolation spot. Uh, but I think, Zakai's ability to do that while also being a good free throw shooter, probably the best free throw shooter on the team, at least one of them, uh, of the high volume free throw shooters, probably the best on the team and, and being a defensive hound. I, I just have a hard time thinking Tennessee's going to want that off the court. But to your point, there's, you know, if Dillion becomes what he can become and reaches, you know, his ceiling in his retro freshman year, Ziegler will have to evolve. I think so. Um, speaking of, uh, they need to evolve, uh, Tennessee offensive lineman recruiting. no, um when you look at the recruiting um week ahead so we got satterwhite tomorrow uh you're hearing this today he will be announcing four-star inside uh, interior offensive lineman um he'll be making his college decision it looks like it's down to clemson and tennessee just like it was for rona connell three-star inside offensive lineman in state um he ends up at clemson They've got a pretty good mix. Like Max Anderson and company, like I'm not really worried. They have a lot of bodies in the last class. They had a lot of inside guys. Like they're pretty. I'm not. I shouldn't say loaded because it's not like it's a bunch of like four or five star inside guys. But like they're they're okay. Like I'm not as concerned about the guards and the centers and like losing a run in O'Connell or whoever. I do think it matters a whole lot more about getting Satterwhite in the fold. Uh, you missed there and both end up at Clemson. So you're gonna have to do a lot of pivoting uh, a little bit because you're gonna have to because you. You need to have that done. Like, if you have that out, you're like, all right, we can only focus on tackle. But if you miss out on Satterwhite, you look up and down the list, you're like, all right, well, now you still got to get another pretty good guard, and you still have to clear the tackle barrier with, um, with uh, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name now. The Pinnett tackle. Warren. Pinnett Warren, yeah, from Texas. And that's a big pull. Ryan, when you look at how this week is shaping up uh, on the offensive line recruiting front, is it a big miss for Ron O'Connell to leave the state of Tennessee? And do you see Satterwhite as a must-get for Tennessee? Uh, O'Connell's a, a big miss in the fact that it was a kid from Nashville that you targeted for a long time. Like, he's mm-hmm. a big miss because of that. I don't think it's a big miss in what you lose from a value standpoint. And I think if William Satterwhite commits to Tennessee uh, today, I guess, for those listening, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, all right, well, who cares? You ended up getting the guy at least. I don't know who's better. I'm not an offensive line expert, but a guy that's ranked higher and a guy that plays the same spot, and you've been recruiting both of them, and you're kind of at a good spot interior-wise. I still hold short of saying it's a must-get. I mean, I think your logic's good there. You don't want to be having to be pivoting this late, and especially if offensive tackle, you don't get bit at Warren. Be, I mean, even if you do get bit at Warren, either way, you're going to need to be able to put more emphasis there. It's just what I've gone back to. I, I feel confident. Glenn Ellerby, for all his, to this point, recruiting pitfalls, has been a really good position coach and mm-hmm. a really good coaching them up. And I think interior offensive line is a spot you can do that. I mean, I've talked about it on here. Getting big-time tackles, I think, matters. You know, I, I have a lot of confidence Tennessee's going to be able to get a lot out of the interior offensive line. Javante Spragans, best interior offensive lineman 
was ranked in the 700s, 800s. Jerome Carvin, I guess, was a low four-star. But they got, they've got had plenty of guys, the production there, that weren't big recruits. So it's not a must-get, in my opinion, but it softens the blow of the week. You know, Ronan O'Connell is in the, out, of, out of sight, out of mind, if you get Satterwhite tomorrow. Yeah. Now if you don't get both of them, and it's just a compounded issue. It's like, man, this is a problem. Uh, the offensive line recruiting, and if you don't get Bennett Warren, it's like, man, it feels like that expedites to Glenn Ellerby, you know, some level of hot seat talk or you know, conversation. I don't think it's a hot take. If he missed, if he misses out on Satterwhite and Warren, I think it, you have to have the sit down conversation of like, this is not going to work long term. Like this, we're re, like this is it's just not enough. Like you saw in the Georgia game, Ethan, like Jalen Carter even getting double teamed just ruined Spraggins life like he was just abusing sprags on the right side and look it's a developmental position it's something that glenn ellerby he got a lot more out of darnell Wright than the previous staff did the previous staff recruited him glenn ellerby developed him i wish there was a way to just that's why i think your idea is great ryan tony vitello recruits the offensive lineman and then glenn ellerby develops the offensive lineman but (laughs) clearly there is a disconnect on that front. And I don't know why, because like, I think part of it that scares me a little bit is like Darnell Wright just went number 10 and you can be, you can show that. And Darnell, Darnell, I think was on, on campus recently and is talking to the Marcus Easley's, the Daniel Calhoun's like he's there. And you have that right now to point like this dude just got better under me. And he was a number 10 pick. Like he was not anywhere near that two years ago. And for his development, it was all under Glenn Ellerby. It's kind of like one of those questions where you're like, man, if you don't have momentum after this kind of run, I mean, I I don't know. That's a big deal to get him in that top 10 spot and to really be struggling where it's like Gage Genther and Jesse Perry are your linchpin tackles in this class right now. I understand there aren't a bunch of tackles in the Trey Smiths and the state of Tennessee don't come along very often, but I think it's fair to be like, look, if you want to compete with the big dogs when you have this competitive of an nil space when you are succeeding just about everywhere else the final piece unfortunately to go from good to great is like the trenches like you have to address this and this is why these battles and we'll talk about another edge guy who committed somewhere else today but like that's the final piece to this hypo machine and whether or not it can get over that final hump is what they do recruiting in the trenches and it's a great thing to develop them but i don't know about you ethan but i have to see Glenn Ellerby land a Darnell type. You have to land a Bennett Warren. You have to land one of these guys, and you have to do it over the next couple of years because those Georgia defensive linemen aren't getting any easier. Williams Ranieri will probably be on that defensive line. It looks like now uh, in the next couple of years. Samuel and Pimba, you're like they're not going anywhere. Bama's defensive line isn't going anywhere. It's you LSU another one when SEC changes like Texas whoever like. That has to change. And I understand the scheme will help things, the tempo will help things, but I'm very concerned that this is going to be a running problem year over year. What do you think? I th- I think I'm less concerned than you are specifically because of the tempo. I mean, it's it's obviously a, a nice thing to be getting these guys. I do think also, when you bring up Darnell Wright, I think a lot of people really, I'm kind of forgetting the word here because it's late at night and I've been up for a long time, but I guess... I'm, I'm just not even going to remember the word. <laughs> to be honest, um, did not appreciate Darnell Wright as much as they should have. Um, and appreciate a, a good offensive lineman as much as you should have. I've seen a couple things about Satterwhite, about how he's a very interesting prospect, because 
his frame is more specifically built, I feel like, for guard. But he played almost, and I guess this is something that is kind of usual for the high school ranks, he played almost exclusively tackle uh, at, at his school that I think won the championship game. Mm. And so you, you start thinking about, I mean, it's kind of plays to Ryan's point also that I don't feel like there's many elite, like Darnell Wright level offensive tackles out there. It's just mm. like, that, that's just how kind of recruiting works. So getting more of these guys, I, I, I feel like is, is a big thing, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's like, you know, if we, if Tennessee misses on Satterwhite, it's the end of the world type of thing. I, I think I'd lean more towards Ryan's thought process on that specifically because I mean, you don't have, Sure, you're going to have Alabama and Georgia's defensive lines that are always going to be there and always going to be terrifying, and, and football is one of the trenches and all that. But Tennessee gets the ball out for the most part. They're, they're getting the ball out soon anyway. I mean, after your first action, and I'm not going to claim to be an offensive line expert either, after your first action, either the ball's out or you're running anyway as far as an interior offensive line is concerned. The, the ball's very likely going to be out of there. I think it's more important to go offensive tackle, and forgive me if that was your question, if you're saying is offensive tackle more important. I I don't necessarily think that missing on Saturday – for the record, I think Tennessee probably will get Saturday. I've seen a lot of things that it's kind of a coin flip at the moment, but I don't think missing an offensive guard or a prospect for an offensive guard is necessarily the end of the world, no. I'd love to get the behind the scenes. I mean, this will take a couple of years, Ryan, of like what it actually is that's holding uh, that's holding them back to this point in the recruiting. Like off the record, like what what it is um, as to why it's not happening uh, to this point in time. But I'm like you said, like Ben and Warren could commit, Satterwhite could commit, and we're looking okay. Still not where you want to be depth wise, especially after you look at next year and all the dudes who will be gone and what this offensive line might look like. But you don't want to be in a situation where you're having to live in the portal to replace your tackles year over year. Like, that's just not a place you want to be in as a top 10 program. And if you are going to be in that blue chip ratio and really commit to where you're going, like, that just, it just has to be better. Like, it's just part of it. Like, it has to be elite at that tackle spot. And right now, I don't think they're recruiting at elite level at the tackle spot. Um, On the flip side, though, where I've way more trusting and believing is uh, Rodney Gardner. So even though Elijah rushing and we'll see what happens over the long haul with his recruitment, he stays home. Biggest recruit in Arizona history. The university of Arizona gets their biggest. His brother is now on scholarship at U of a, but there was some buzz. Like it kind of came out of nowhere that Elijah rushing the five-star edge um, with Eckler and Gardner were pushing pretty hard and it might've come down to just those two. And we'll see what happens if Arizona has a bad year, if Jed Fish gets a different job. Like, there's a lot of variables in play that maybe he doesn't make it uh, to Tucson because, again, it's going to be hard to keep him big-time player, all that. Um, and we'll see what kind of season Arizona has. But, like, I don't know. I'm not as panicky about missing on Elijah rushing because I think Devin Hobbs, you got late in the cycle. You got Joshua Joseph's late, James Pierce late. Like Gardner closes really well. And that's one of the things that I am not as concerned. Are you in the same boat, Ryan, when it comes to the defensive line recruiting? Com- completely, 100%. And, you know, Tennessee, I think part of that's Tennessee is still involved with a lot more big name guys. And, you know, frankly, at this point, as we sit here in early July, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily trending in the right direction with a lot of those guys. Mm. But, they're not over, and I have a lot of trust in Rodney Gardner. I mean, I've said it on here before. He's been he's been landing big, big-time recruits and winning big-time recruiting battles in the Southeast since 10 years before I was born. So I'm not going to start doubting him at this point. And it's because, you know, it's 
what he's done at Tennessee. I mean, I'm talking about 30 years. Ronnie Garner's recruited really well in the defensive line in his first two cycles at Tennessee. And now that Tennessee's been awful recruiting on the offensive line, but it's not been the same caliber by any means. Uh, so, yeah, I for a number of reasons, I, I don't view those two things the same at all. And with rushing, I mean, that almost seemed like it, it did seem like one that was rare, and I always tip my cap to these kids when it doesn't feel like anybody really knows for sure what they're doing. I know there was buzz around Arizona, but there was you didn't see the flood of crystal balls. They're on mm-hmm. three predictions come in for him. Uh, but I still have to say, you know, I didn't even ever think Tennessee was that serious of a player. It did mm-hmm. seem like maybe they made a run late, um, but yeah, it's you know a loss. But I don't even view that one as a tough loss because it's not necessarily one I ever thought the balls were going to get. And uh, there's a lot of other, you know, big time guys that Tennessee's in the thick of it for. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, Braylon Staley now in the boat and a lot of Tennessee fans love that they end up getting a better player out of South Carolina after Mizzia Bennett uh, decommits um, from Tennessee after committing uh, forever ago. It's actually been a really weird wide receiver recruiting cycle. Like, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. JJ Harrell now, he goes like, it's just really weird that if it was any other program, you're like, all right, what's going on? Like, we can't like, this is uh, this is a little weird. But now I just feel like it's going to be Staley, Terrell Anderson, the North Carolina kid. Uh, that'll probably be a late ad, another four-star. Like, this could just be like four, four-star and five-star guys. Like, you could end up with Matthews, Jefferson, Staley, and Anderson. And that's just like a, whoo, I'm, I'm probably most excited because you already have Nathan Leacock, who I think is going to be a really good player. And that was a really good uh, early eval for Tennessee. And he's a strong four-star. But... I just feel like that that's going to be the highlight of this class. That's my gut. Do you feel the same, Ethan, is that like, after it's all said and done, the bread and butter of the 2024 class is going to be, I would like to go catch passes from uh, Nico Iamaliaba or uh, Jake Merklinger over the next couple of years. That that would be my my jam. What, what do you think? I'd say you just summed it up pretty perfectly with your last. I, I mean, Tennessee's offense, it's a wide receiver's dream. Jalen Hyatt proved it last year, and that – I, I'm I'm not going to compare anybody to Jalen Hyatt, but that's probably the type of player that Staley's going to. I mean, he's probably going to be a lot in the slot. He's incredibly mm-hmm. fast. He won a couple 200-meter stuff in, in the state of South Carolina. I think it was 4A or 5A. I can't remember, but he's wicked fast. Yeah. He's probably going to thrive. I don't know about thrive, but he'll do well in the slot. Mm-hmm. And he's the type of player that I feel like Kelsey Pope, that Tennessee is just a fan of. Uh, just uber-fast dudes that you know have a good catch radius and just have a solid knack for running very quickly and catching the ball (laughs) that that, that's that's a solid thing and so you add that on top of i feel like matthews has been trending to tennessee for a while but you just never know i mean things change certainly but i don't think staley is going to be the last one if that was kind of your sub question there i think tennessee is probably going to add a lot more i know jefferson he's down chattanooga right yeah, he's or a mailer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you're thinking that guy, uh, just from the projections of it, uh, Tennessee's wide receiver room does not seem to be done in the class of 2024. I really like where they're heading with that. I, I'd agree with you 100%. That's very exciting. Uh, I, I Just the fact that you're getting that, and then you also get Merklinger, who is, I think, Tennessee's highest rated commit in the class of 2024 as of right now. Getting that and getting that set up for these receivers to say, hey, Tennessee's offense – their wide receiver offense, just in general, you're, you're seeing Brew McCoy, you're seeing Cedric Tillman, you're seeing Jalen Hyatt just streak down the field and make defenders look like they're high schoolers uh, because of the type of routes that Tennessee is running. 
that that's going to be good for anybody. And so they see that Mark Langer's at the top and they say, okay, I want to go join in on the fun. And I, I, like, there's I think just no path for it to not work out. It's like, it's even, yeah. even if it's not Nico, yeah. if it's Jake, whoever, like, we're not really concerned. It's also, they have the most amount of receivers drafted in the NFL over the last, what, four years? Is it? Um, that's the stat. Is it four or three? Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. I haven't even seen this stat. Uh, Tennessee's yeah, the most I didn't, amount I didn't of know receivers. that either. That surprised me, to be honest with you. Yeah, because I think Tennessee, after this draft, had the most amount of receivers taken. And I think it's the last three years. I mean, with Vila, Cedric, Jalen, um i really would have assumed ohio state that's impressive well yeah ohio state's gonna have a good run this year uh yeah but yeah i mean that's the other part of it Vilas, completely different kind of player and he worked out in a really unique way jalen hyatt just a streaker downfield he worked out in a different way javante payton even had success first play of the game and he was gonna find it like i just think tennessee is building and capitalized in a major way and kelsey pope has been an elite recruiter and just an elite position coach moving when cody burns left and he took over he's just hit the ground running and maybe that ace recruiter of this staff uh, like him and joey halsey because like i just i'm not worried about it. i think they're gonna end up with four four stars or three four stars and one five star with mike matthews i just think they're in a really good spot and i think it's an easy sell like i just you yeah. look at this group and that's the one where it's like it's fun guys have fun and you're going to get drafted like it's it's an easy one well i think, I think the thing that stands, go, go ahead ryan i think the thing that stands out to me and it's kind of when you look at the future and, and what an easy sell it is is what we we're just talking about tennessee's mm. had what two for in like 150 to 200 rated recruits decommit and then boom braylon staley i mean yeah. they've been involved they've been recruiting them for a while but it's not like braylon staley has been a top three receiver target you think about when it's Tennessee. And it's just like, and I know Clemson took some guys and I don't know if he had a spot there, but it's like, boom, Tennessee puts hard pressure on. They lose JJ Harrell, hard pressure. Say they get a guy ranked higher than them two weeks yeah. later. And it just feels like Tennessee, the top 100 guys, those elite receivers, you're always going to have to battle with. And Mari Jefferson's top three. I don't get why he's ranked as low as he is, but it just feels like Tennessee will be able to just get, consistently 150 to 300 ranked player in the country four-star receiver like they can pick those up whenever they want and if the offense continues at the pace that i think we all think it will i don't see that changing like cedric tillman played like he's a three-star like just forgot like he was not he was blocking two closer to a two two star almost i mean he was a 77th receiver in the country i think and he turned into randy moss in this offense for a little bit like he (laughs) like it was uh it was pretty great uh so uh, yeah i'm not really worried about that at all um vols fourth best sec title odds um per bet online right now ethan does that feel right to you do you do you buy fourth best odds going into the year based on the schedule yes i I did some thinking about this especially i mean like Georgia's gonna be Georgia, and their schedule is incredibly easy. So they're they're it's impossible, in my opinion, for Georgia to lose more than one SEC game, and I don't even mm-hmm. think they're gonna lose one. Um, Alabama, I'm not 100 percent sure on LSU is in a similar boat to Georgia. To be totally mm-hmm. honest, their schedule just works out to where I can't see them losing more than two SEC games. I mean, they're they're one of their biggest tests of the season is really gonna be Florida State, and that's you know that's that I. I don't have it off the top of my head. I think LSU has, I don't know. I was looking at it a bit ago, but I just, I cannot see LSU losing more than two games, two Mm -hmm. SEC games anyway. And I I just feel like that's kind of, do I think Tennessee is a better football team than LSU? I'm not really sure. Do I think they're a better football team? Honestly, this is going to sound crazy than even Alabama. 
I'm not mm. sure about that either because Alabama, I mean, everyone's just assuming that Nick Saban is just going to figure it out and they're going to come back and they're going to, you know, only lose one game and that's going to be that. But, I mean, they're, they're going to have Tyler Buckner or Jalen Milrow at, at quarterback. That's not that, that's that's not great. Yeah, I mean, I get, you know, Ty Simpson could come in and be the next Bryce Young, sure, but that's not great by any mean of the standard. And not to mention, I think they're returning – I think five starters on 10 starters overall, maybe five on defense, five on offense. And so Alabama is going to be good. Sure. They're going to be number probably two in the sec, but their schedule is a, a, a again, a much tougher. I mean, they got, I believe Texas A&M at Texas A&M at Auburn at Kentucky. They should beat those easily, but all of those are on the road plus games against Tennessee I mean, they have more of a, I guess what I'm going on about here is they have more of a opportunity to fail than LSU. Do I think they will? Probably not. They're probably going to just lose one or two games and that'll be that. But it's really going to come down to Tennessee and Alabama in in October. That's really going to be the fight, I think, for third place because I think Georgia and LSU just don't lose enough games to not be right there. And if Tennessee beats Alabama, they'll probably be third. If Alabama beats Tennessee, I think Tennessee's going to be fourth. I think that'll be uh, how, how that works out. I think they win one of Bama, Florida, Georgia. Like, I think Tennessee, I don't, I think they go one of three. I don't know which one it okay. is. One of those is not like the other. Yeah, I was about I, to say. I understand yeah. that. <laughs> and, and don't get me, look, no one, you don't have to talk curses and Tennessee's in a bill. I mean, I've long said. Brentwood, the Brentwood Blaze Triple B team could trot out there in those Florida Gator uniforms. I'm not sure Tennessee could beat them. <laughs> so I get it, but it's like you just named yeah team that's going to go 12-0, and team that's probably going to go yeah, our best college football program in the last 15 years, and then a team who's over under win totals five and a half. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, you know what's crazy? I feel better about Tennessee's chances in Alabama than I do at Florida this year. <laughs> that is, You're right. You... That's such a good point, Chase. That is crazy. That is, is genuine yeah, I mean, crazy talk. But do you not feel that way? Will you not go into the Florida game more? I, no, I'll, I'll go into the Florida game with such Tennessee will find a way to lose this game feeling. Yeah. But I won't feel more confident Tennessee going in to Bryant-Denny Stadium a year after they beat Alabama than I will go into I will. Face That's me. I, I am. I'm going in. I actually think that there there's a better chance Tennessee beats Bama than Florida this year. I think that's that's insanity. This I mean, is all. I, I, to make think, it- <laughs> I mean, look, I, I'm gonna. I think Tennessee has a better chance against Alabama than people are thinking. That is how I would phrase that. I do not think they have a better chance of beating Alabama than Florida. Florida's not good. That's, this has <laughs> to be it. This, this is why I'm telling it. you. This is gonna. This is why it's gonna hurt so much when Florida it wins seventeen thirteen. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this much: if Tennessee loses seventeen thirteen. They ain't got no prayer. The season will be in shambles by the time they roll into Tuscaloosa. In yeah. shambles. They won't be winning in Tuscaloosa if they win and get if they lose in Gainesville, buddy. I mean, I just, this thing is yeah. going to is going to crater quickly if Tennessee loses that way in Florida. And if they lose to Florida, it's that the very way least with mental. Joe Milton just imploding. <laughs> yeah. Well, the offense too just kind of lends itself to just beat people it shouldn't beat every year. Like this offense is just going to be an offense that beats some people that, and if Tennessee's down 
I think it actually lends itself to beating Georgia more likely than if they don't. Like, if they have three losses, Georgia's not getting up. Like, Georgia, that was their Super Bowl in the regular season last year. Like, they loved every second of destroying a number one Tennessee team coming into town, thinking that they were the best team, and they had, Tennessee is back and all this. And if Tennessee has three losses, and they, like, lose to Bama, Florida, and AM at home, and the offense is still somewhere in the top 10 in the country, and Georgia doesn't really get up for it the same way they would usually, I think that actually lends itself to uh, Tennessee having a better chance at home versus if Tennessee is one loss or even undefeated going to that point again. I just think Georgia gets up for stuff like that where they're like, yeah, we're just going to we're gonna walk into Neal in an absolutely crush you in a different kind of way. I think it's going to be harder for them to get up. I mean, they were sleepwalking through the first quarter in uh, at Neal two years ago. Like, Tennessee was up. Like, they were not expecting to be hit in the mouth in that kind of way. And Tennessee had, what, four or five losses at that point uh, when they played Georgia? So, four, yeah. I don't know. I actually think that there's a better chance of Tennessee beating Georgia if they have a worse season. Uh, it's kind of it's crazy to me that you could have a take that's so horrible like the Florida Alabama one and then yeah. followed up with one I think that's a phenomenal take like Georgia is just when I thought you couldn't be any dumber <laughs> you go out and do something like this I mean, and Ge- totally redeem yourself <laughs> it's my mo Ryan <laughs> yeah I mean it just feels like at this point. <laughs> George is just still, even if Tennessee has a good season, the talent level, they're just, they're just cut above. And yeah. when they're up, I mean, it's, I, you know, no one hates it more than I do. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the worst. Some of my best <laughs> friends are Georgia people. I can't stand it, but I mean, it's the best program in college football right now. And there's just a dominance that when they're on their game and granted, the fair thing is if you're going to beat them, it's going to have to be with some just stud receivers. They can't guard. They still mm. wouldn't be in Alabama two years ago if they didn't injure injured or two best players in the SEC championship and national championship. Sorry. It's true. Might not win last year. If they don't have a bounty on Marvin Harrison. Sorry. Uh, got to get a Georgia hate out there. I said too much nice stuff about him, wow. but I think you're, I think you're right. They're just a cut above when they're in their a game, they're dialed in. And if I'm not, that'd be probably sleepwalking. But if Tennessee's got three losses and, you know, we're so far, they've been removed from the SEC's hunt for a month and a half, I think your chances of catching them uh, is a lot more likely. There you go. I like it. Um, Ethan, last Vol football question, and we'll uh, wrap up with Vol baseball. Bigger Vol football threat this year, South Carolina or Kentucky in the East? Who do you think is actually going to end up having a better season and be a better threat to Tennessee? I'm going to be, I don't even really think it's close. I think it's Kentucky because oh. Kentucky is coming off of a bye. They have probably the most improved offensive line in the SEC. Devin Leary, I, I get he's coming off an injury. Devin Leary, I think, is being severely underrated by just people that follow SEC football in general. Mm. Um, Ray Davis is solid as well, and he's coming back against, like I said, un- behind an offensive line that should be really good. And do I think either of them are- Either of them really are even going to beat Tennessee? No, I don't. I think both are probably going to finish around seven and five, maybe eight wins. I, I don't necessarily think either of them will have the chance. I think of the two, though, Kentucky has the better chance because it's mm. in Kentucky, and I know Kentucky's not exactly a terrifying place to play, but they're coming off a of bye as well. And Kentucky, they hate Tennessee, man. They're sick of losing to Tennessee. It's it's the I, I wouldn't quite compare it to Tennessee, Florida. Uh, but like Kentucky is sick of losing to Tennessee. That's that's the game that certain Wildcat fans are going to circle. 
I don't necessarily think the rivalry between Tennessee and South Carolina is quite to that level to add that extra layer. But uh, yeah, I, I just I, I don't really think it's close to be honest. I think South Carolina is actually going to be a fairly easy game. They lose a lot of people. Um, I I just I don't see them coming into Neyland and beating Tennessee twice in a row. I don't see it happening. I do see Kentucky potentially giving them a fight just based off and. It's late in the season, too, so it's it's really going to depend on, I guess, what's happening. You could sway my mind if we get three weeks ahead of it and things are going differently. But right this instant, I don't think it's close. I think Kentucky's the tougher battle. That's interesting. I lean, I lean South Carolina being tougher. I think something has to give in this rivalry where blowout two years ago in Neyland, blowout at South Carolina last year. I think the talent pool is pretty close. I think they they upgraded at offensive coordinator based on me talking to the South Carolina folks and yep. what how simplifying the playbook there. They like there was something different with what they're doing. Like I could see like I see more of a path to them playing Tennessee close in Neyland next year than I do Kentucky being able to keep up with with Hypel and company. I don't think that that's a good matchup at all. For Stoops and I don't, I, don't, I still yeah, would say uh, I don't think it's a great matchup either. I agree with you. I, I don't think either of them are really going to get close. But I think South Carolina is going to be close. I've been thinking about it a lot this summer. I think South Carolina Tennessee is actually a good game. Like, I think it's probably a game in the fourth quarter. I think Tennessee wins. I could see it being closer to like what Old Miss Tennessee at home was two years ago. Is what my gut tells me. I think it's going to be closer to that. Um, but we'll see. Today game and we'll be up. It'll be hot. And maybe that will be a difference maker because I don't want to ever play South Carolina at night. I hate it. Um, that being said, Ryan, do you? Which way do you lean as more likely to finish second, or also just give Tennessee more problems this year? Yeah, well, I think they'll both, or they very well could be competitive games. I mean, I just don't know what to expect out of Tennessee. I mean, yeah, it's just what we go back to. It's the question. It's the number seven question, and mm-hmm. I don't. It's hard for me to sit here and be like those games won't be close when <laughs> number seven could easily not be good enough for both those games to be very close and even toss ups. Mm-hmm. I lean to Kentucky being the harder game. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have a ton of separation in it. I just think those are to me pretty similar teams. You know, again, I feel like Spencer Rattler. I feel exactly like I felt about him last off season, where I just don't know, like. He could be good. He could be bad. And then he proceeded to be bad for 10 weeks and then be really good for three weeks. So maybe he has turned the corner. I don't know. I still think Devin Leary is probably the safer bet there. Um, and then you just look at Tennessee's got the revenge factor. Not that that's the huge deal, but revenge factor at home compared to Kentucky going, again, being on the road. I lean towards Kentucky being a little bit harder, but I view those probably probably being the most compatible games uh, on the schedule when you talk about uh, just how even you know I, I, I view those games going into them. I like it. Uh, Ryan, what happened this week? Ryan Galaney is a vol. Uh, we got Billy Amick is a vol. We've got just uh, insert name here. If he entered the portal, he's probably going to be a vol. Like, what is happening right now with Tennessee baseball? And are they now well on their way to being the preseason number one going into next year? I don't know about that. That feels still a little bit pushing it. And maybe they will be. Uh, I'm not like I'm fallen the complete college baseball landscape super closely but i know florida's got a lot of dudes back and they've gotten some good guys in the portal too on a team that was pretty good but better than tennessee this year so mm. uh go back top five preseason 100 percent. and what you've seen is tony vitello and his staff have landed i mean at a rate that you just don't see it's like the chase thomas dream recruiting rate of 
like when I was tell, saying a few weeks back on the pod of like you, you just like you're gonna get some guys and you're not. Like you can't have this mindset. You're gonna get everybody. Tennessee's gotten not everybody, but don't pretty, tell that to Tony Vitello, sir. They've gotten pretty close to all of the main people they have targeted in the portal. And you know Ryan Glaney, you're not even you're not home free at all. There, you're gonna have to survive the draft. And from talking to him, I think his ideal version has him prof- playing professional baseball next year. Um, but man, you, what Tennessee has lost arguably the best returning pitcher in the country and the team has gotten drastically better and it's a huge testament to tony vitello to josh elander frank anderson the whole staff uh, richard jackson quentin everhard on visits but they have been aggressive but meticulous in how they were atta- they've attacked things and it, i mean it's paid off for them really in all the best ways what is Billy Amick? Is he a third baseman? What is where? Because does the, does this mean Zane Denton is gone? If you're bringing in Billy Amick, does that kind of I re, think, is that reading the tea leaves correctly? I think that's reading the tea leaves correctly. Uh, okay. I you know again, this stuff's all fluid. But as of a, a week, less than a week out of the draft, like five days out of the draft, actually, don't even know what day it is. It's Thursday. Mm. I would be surprised if Zane Denton's back in Tennessee next year. And yeah, I mean, I think it's if Ryan Gulani makes it to campus, you know, I think he's probably at third base. Billy Amick's at second base. Um, so where is Christian Moore? Short? I think one of corner outfield spots. I think he'll or in the outfield somewhere. Shortstop's the big question left, obviously, which I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, I think, and then if Am, if Gulani, you know, doesn't make it to Tennessee, I think Amick's probably at third base. Interesting. Is it Kendra? Would they really run it back? Or is there someone in the portal? Is there someone else? Can we, hey, can we just do the the meme? Just like, here you go. I can't even do the Dumb and Dumber thing. Like the next shortstop who enters the portal. Just be like, here you go. Here you go. Like, who's the next one? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something you'd be monitoring. You'd at least want to bring someone in for competition. I know yeah. they were interested in Jaden Davis from Sanford who ended up going to Vanderbilt. He's from Cookville. Mm. Um, but again, that one, I mean, from the beginning, the tea leaves were all pouring, pointing to Vanderbilt. So, while Tennessee was interested, you know, it didn't feel like it was, all right, here's plan A, a shortstop next year. He wasn't Vanderbilt. built for Tennessee. He was more of a Vanderbilt. He was like, like anyone, it's important that folks remember that anyone Vanderbilt's getting in the portal is someone that Tennessee passed on. Continue. Um, speaking of, uh, when we're on the Vanderbilt topic, I saw this tweet literally within five minutes. It was sent to me. Vandy camp day two. Corb's teaching 280 kids how to Vandy boys stand for the anthem. <laughs> It's just, it's really hard to imagine that's not a bit. You're talking about bits, me thinking your Florida takes a bit. I mean, that's more of a bit than that could possibly be. Um, but but moving on, yeah, I think at, at this point you continue to monitor the portal. I'm sure Tennessee will be looking there. But, you know, I think there's a great deal of confidence. And you have Jazz Love, too. I think Kendra is certainly the higher ceiling guy. But I think there's a great deal of confidence in what those guys bring you defensively. And what Tennessee's done you know, so well uh, in the portal and just what they have coming back. Some of the, you know, the younger guys dryling tears. I think you almost, again, it's probably not plan A. It's not the best case scenario, but I think you're kind of willing to bite the bullet of being good defensively at shortstop of taking a step back uh, offensively. Kind of like you had, I mean, Cortland Lawson, Tennessee would kill for Cortland Lawson's production. I would kill for Cortland Lawson. Ninth ninth whole legend. Like, love Cortland. But Cortland kind of what you thought you were getting from Cortland. Cortland ended up being mm. a better hitter than I think, at least I expected. Maybe everybody in the program thought he'd be that good. No, I saw uh, it coming. I was like, that's that's an Alex Gonzalez clone if I've ever seen one. I saw like the 280, which I think is around what he hit, with mm. like seven home runs, not like the 14 home runs he ended up hitting. I mean, so, he's he sneaky huge. He was. I mean, he hit, 
the opposite field home run he hit at Kentucky saved yeah. him from getting swept in 2022. People forget, but not yeah, us. We're kind of ram- not on this we're rambling on, but that concept obviously did kill for Cortland Lawson. But that concept of being good shortstop defensively. Well, who's the last name? The the pitcher who that Drew Beam is working. What's his name? Luke Holman. Okay. Do you think Alabama. that's Do you think that's happening? I mean, I think it's kind of. I think Tennessee's in it as much as anybody right now, but I think that one's not necessarily close to a decision. I, you mm-hmm. know, I think he wants to take a couple of visits, um, and obviously, as you mentioned, he's with Drew Beam, Team USA Baseball. I think they got another week left uh, of games with that, so I would kind of wait. I think it's going to quiet down a little bit in the portal. Maybe don't make me. Maybe don't make me look dumb. Uh, I, I personally didn't see the Dalton Bargo commitment coming today, so they could have something else up their sleeve. But I think maybe a little bit more of a slow burn for a week or so, and then uh, I think stuff will pick up with Luke Coleman. And I think you know going into that stretch, Tennessee's in the thick of it with him. I know Drew Beam has been been working him really hard uh, at the Team USA stuff. There you go, Ethan. What do you think? How excited are you for this at next evolution? Hunter Mill and LNS like turning into just the most intense atmosphere, like. Is this enough to bring you back? How many weekend trips are you making it back to Knoxville from uh, South Carolina, from enemy territory? Yeah, talk, talk about the about the Lindsey Nelson renovations and Tennessee getting literally everybody in the transfer. But you know how hard it is to make like me care about baseball, college baseball after like late June. <laughs> I mean, for for Tennessee to be getting all these guys to be getting, I'm Onyx ready to and, run through a brick wall. Like the Vol yeah. villain next year, like I am going to be despicable because this is going to be a home run machine like whoever ends up like we just know that they are going to obliterate the baseball Blake Burke might bat ninth and he, like you look at this lineup next year and what it could really be they are going to hit more home runs than last than than two years ago I think in the regular honestly team. one of the first things I thought when I saw that they got Amic is is what's what's happening with Blake Burke because <laughs> yeah he plays first base is he not for, he, for Clemson he was DH in first base for Clemson yeah. yeah yeah so I mean and I mean just going on top of that just the pure talent that Tennessee's getting that's the thing that makes me especially excited for a guy yeah. that I mean I've just my my job requires me to be analytical about college basketball and college football, not really college baseball. SDS just doesn't really dive into that. But to still see the guys that Tennessee's coming in and still be able to be like, those, that's that seems really, really good. And then I confirm it. I'm like, yeah, that's really, really good. For Tennessee to just continuously be getting stuff like that, you got to be excited from a fan perspective. You got Tennessee, you got Danny White finally, I guess, getting the, the renovations through and just the – Hype around Tennessee baseball should be at an all-time high right now, and we're forever away from the start of next season. Cannot wait to drive down uh, that road with all the the battery adjacent and then LNS renovations. Like whatever is going on with the construction on that side of campus is going to be bonkers. Everything I was wondering what and what on earth over there too. Just that entire like, are they just going to get rid of that road in between? I don't even know what road that is but are they just going to get rid of it because i don't see how else they'll be able to do it it didn't i mean it didn't have it that's kind of how i thought but i mean in this initial phase that they announced last week it's still gonna remain but that didn't include all the stuff that they want to build like battery style and mm. doesn't include the new dorm and the baseball training facility that's going to be in right field so that's what i've long been saying man just cut a road through the fraternity houses cut that thing off maybe extend the fences by a couple uh a couple feet and don't don't worry about that anymore there you go 
Uh, Ryan Shepard, what can the good folks check out from you and the team over at RockyTopInsider.com this week? Yeah, I mean, we'll have plenty of stuff on whatever recruiting uh, comes up. Uh, for I'm Tennessee sorry, football. did you say we'll have plenty of stuff on whatever? Come on, let's. you've been doing this for a long <laughs> time. Whatever recruiting. <laughs> Brandon, what is put, that? I didn't put those words together particularly fluid, uh, but... Whatever recruiting news breaks. I don't know. Ryan's doing shit over at Rocky Top Insider. I don't know. He's doing stuff. (laughs) Well, the other thing I was going to say, and I I was, we'll have tons of MLB draft stuff preview to that and then tons of coverage on that in the fallout. (laughs) Uh, But then again, I also just like didn't know what day it was and said that the MLB draft's a week away when it's four days away. So obviously, um, it's July. We sleep in July. So I'm, uh, (laughs) maybe I'm slacking a little bit, but there will be tons of content at RockyTopInsider.com. Tennessee football, basketball stuff. I think we're going to have some availabilities in the next couple weeks before they head on their Europe trip. And then, uh, as always, Tennessee baseball offseason. We'll have everything you need, RTI transfer portal tracker, any uh, commitment news, and then uh, gearing up for the MLB draft. There you go. Ethan, what about you and the team over at SaturdayDownSouth.com? Could you do a one through the last 50 articles that have been posted uh, today? <laughs> yeah, every, uh, one through 50. Every single one of them, except for maybe one, has been about a recruit dropping a top five, top four, or re- uh, committing to a certain place. And that's what it's going to be, SDS, Tradition, all of our sites. That's what it's going to be for the next probably month, a uh, couple months. Getting into talking season, so that's a lot of fun. Time to chill, like Ryan said, but a lot of recruiting uh, coverage over at SDS, uh, all four of our sites. There you go. Ryan Shepard, Ethan Stone, always a pleasure, and I'll talk to you all next week. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.